Speak softly loud and hold me warm against your heart. I hear your words, the tender trembling moments die. Welcome, everybody, and it's another segment of Hollywood Godfather Podcast. And tonight's a very special segment for me because we have another host for the entertainment part of our new segment. And this guy I've known for many, many years, over 50, and uh, he was a young boy when I met him. I was living in his neighborhood, or I should say our neighborhood, and uh, I'm very proud. First, I want to introduce Pat Picciarelli, which we all know, my co-host, co-writer, my friend. And we did a show with George a while ago, we were very impressed with his knowledge of the entertainment world. We got some really positive feedback, even from the emails and our audience. So we want to welcome, for the first time, for Hollywood Godfather Entertainment segment, and it's going to be at least once a month, George Pecoraro. Well, George, welcome. Thank you, Gianni. Thank you, Pat. I'm very, very happy to be a part of the team. And uh, it's, uh, I look forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, I'm sure it's going to be very enlightening in the entertainment world because Pat lives in the jungle and I, <laughs> and I live in New York where no more entertainments and entertainers come. They're afraid. <laughs> so, so uh, I'm sorry. What's new out there, George? Well, I'm in Vegas and I, I go around the country. I produce a lot of big shows uh, for uh, casinos in theaters and festivals and corporate dates and cruise ships. I work with people like Smokey Robinson, uh, um, Johnny Mathis, Paul Anka. Um, I'm doing shows next week with The Temptations and The Four Tops. Then I have, um, next month I have people like, uh, I'm doing The Bronx Tale with Chaz Palminteri for two shows. I'm doing Terry Fader right after that. I'm doing um, Tyler Henry who's, I believe, a psychic, uh, very popular right now, has his own TV show. And then right after that, I'm doing Rick Springfield and on and on, uh, Air Supply and The Righteous Brothers and Lee Greenwood. These are all coming up this year. And uh, I, I've got quite a few shows coming up. I, I pretty much just work with recognizable names, mostly the a little older of the names. I just completed a show that we talked about last time. Gianni was asking me with um, Priscilla Presley. Oh, what's the name of yeah. yeah, and you know, it's so funny because I, I, George told me that. In fact, he had dinner with us this past weekend. And ironically, when he called me, I was in rehearsals doing a, a new segment of my new show that I'm going on the road with that's part of the book, Hollywood Godfather. And uh, we included this time, uh, May 12, 1960, Maya Lansky, Told Frank, you know, Mr. Costello, tell that kid if he wants to come down, I'll have a surprise for him. That was on a Thursday. So I see him on Friday morning. He says, jump down to Florida. Maya has a surprise for you. Bring a change of clothes. I never knew what to expect. So I get to the Fontbleau Hotel. They had a call for me at the, at the uh, Miami airport. And I meet Maya where I normally meet him on the park bench on Collins Avenue <laughs> with his dog. And he said, you're not going to believe what we're doing. And we walked behind the main stage 
of the Laurent room through the alleyway. And in rehearsal was my all-time hero and mentor at that time was Frank Sinatra. And he was hosting an NBC special welcoming Elvis Presley home from the war. And Elvis Presley was there. I couldn't believe it. So I spent that time with you know those two people for three days and then uh, became friends with Elvis later on that he opened my club in Vegas for me. Tiffany's at the Tropicana. He was there every, every night for three days. And uh, George is having dinner with his, well, not that he's passed, still his wife, but... Uh, so I rekindled a lot of memories, fortunately. How's she looking, though, George? Actually, she, you know, she, I, I, she's a little up there. She looked fantastic. She was very fit. And a very interesting thing happened at dinner. We were eating uh, at the gourmet room with Michael's, Michael Gaughan's uh, gourmet room. And we're sitting, and it's the first time I met her because it was the first date I did with her. And she did, she did three nights, and she sold out all three nights. Because there's still a lot of Elvis Presley fans out there. And she goes to me right after about about 10 minutes of meeting her. And she said, you know, I'm reading a book right now. And did you ever hear of a gentleman, an actor by the name of Gianni Russo? And I look at her. I'm thinking if this is like a skit, uh, a setup. I said, are you serious? She says, yeah, I'm reading this book called The Hollywood Godfather. I can't put it down. Marilyn Monroe, all the stories. It's unbelievable. He goes, I'm just curious if you ever met him. You seem to have met a lot of people. I said, well, I can tell you this. Uh, he's one of my closest friends. I've known him for about 50 years. And I'll be with him very shortly. In about a couple of weeks, we're going to be having dinner at his house. And it, it, just the on the odds of her saying yeah. your book, your name, first time I met her within 10 minutes, God's honest truth, she she showed me on the uh, uh, on her phone the picture of the book and and it's exactly Gianni Russo and 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 uh his that's book. me yeah, I'm on the cover <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the cover here keep reading and it's interesting you should also say you know I I I've never saw Elvis's show I wasn't in any hurry I was more into Sinatra Dean Martin Perry Como Jerry Lewis everybody from the older era the old and I thought I'd get around to Elvis. I just wasn't a giant Elvis fan. I was an Elvis fan, but I know Joe, I knew Joe Esposito, his road manager, very well. I would have dinner with him once in a while after the fact. And I knew Joe uh, Gersio, his conductor, for a while. He he took a job at Arizona Charlie's as the entertainment director. And you, know, and you know Jimmy Molidor also. Who I is- know Jimmy Molidor. That's right. I know Jimmy Molidor is a club. In fact, I'm supposed to go have dinner with him. And about three, four days at the uh, at the uh, Las Vegas Country Club, and I met also the Colonel. Oh my God! Uh, wow. About maybe about five years before he died, I was with Yakov Smirnov, the Russian comedian. We were at the old Las Vegas Hilton, and he was trying to convince and talk Yakov Smirnov into managing him. And uh, Yakov wasn't that interested. I could tell right away. <laughs> and what, uh, what, but he was, am- he was heavy and with a cigar and just what you expect him to look like. So I, I those four people I knew all around Elvis. I've been to Elvis's suite. I did everything except saw his show. But and now it's a little late. Yeah, <laughs> a little. Well, what would be careful, Yakov? Yakov owns his own has his own theater in Branson, Missouri. Branson. Um, 
Yaakov did very, very well. I was the first one ever to bring Yaakov Shmirnov to Las Vegas, Nevada. A buddy of mine, the Murray Langston, the unknown comic, he he was the first one ever to do three comedians together in, a, in, in the shows in Las Vegas. It was Murray. He had, and I booked it. I had it at the Fountain Theater, as you know, Gianni, at the Tropicana. Right. I had it there for about 14 weeks in the summer of about 19, maybe 82, 83. And we had it for about 16 weeks. And we revolved three comedians. It would be people like Johnny Dark, um, who was very, very close to Fabian when he went into the war, uh, and uh, Skip Stevenson. And it was Yakov Smirnov. And um, a very interesting question. Uh, Jim Carrey used to call me about trying to get into that that group of three. They must have been very young. And I, oh, No, this is before the world knew of Jim Carrey. Yeah. You say in the 80s, 80s that's why. Roger and Roger. It was all it was three comedians. And Jim Carrey called me one time, and he said, I'm going to send you a tape, a VHS tape, and please show it to the entertainment director, which was Larry Lee. And, Larry and, and, Lee. And Fat no, Larry Lee. Do I know and Larry Father Lee? Father Allen Lee was the first. Sure, of Allen was the, the first guy, and he yeah. worked for Frank Costello. Did you know Frank Costello and Joe Kennedy owned the Tropicana Hotel first? Did you I, know I that? read some things, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's your segment. <laughs> well, hello. But where was I? Oh, uh, so I, sent, I showed the tape. I put the tape on for um, Larry Lee of Jim Carrey. And he watched it, and that's when Jim Carrey was doing really, really weird stuff. Like he was doing a screaming ET with the hands behind his head, and just really no, no, no traditional stand-up comedy like the comedians were doing. Like you get up to like a stand-up and you do jokes and you do stories. Anyway, he, Jim Carrey was doing everything but that. A lot of yelling, and, and he a lot still of is. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Larry Lee goes, "No, oh, I can't use this guy. This, this, this guy's not." It's too weird for me. He's not good for the for the high rollers. They're not going to get it. Get me more Johnny Darks and Roger Roger and Rogers and Skip Stevenson's and on and on Yakov Smirnov. Anyway, but that was Yakov Smirnov's first engagement ever in Las Vegas. He went out. He wound up doing. Um, got him pretty famous. He did a couple of specials called "What a Country," was all old jokes about his where he grew up. And then he did very well in Los Angeles. Wound up buying a a few buildings. Really? Buildings, and he had his mother and father run them. He bought a Ferrari. He gave, he did very, very well. But did and he have he money, put, or he made it in the uh, entertainment? Did he have money, or he made it he in the entertainment? Zero. He started with nothing. Really? Zero, zero, zero. He came to this country. He lived with like four, five, six, seven, eight people in one room, slept on the floor. But he was funny. He says his, his joke used to be, I'm the funniest comedian in Russia. He goes, I'm the only comedian. <laughs> yeah. You know, he he he, uh, he hit the scene when he did. He was big. He, was, he, was, he would headline the Las Vegas Hilton places. He played all the top places around the country. Well, he, he, he came stuff. to what? Well, that was in the early 70s, I, I, I remember, right? And he started. Well, um, I'm, I know he, I, when I hired him, it was early 80s. Yeah. That was the first time he ever did Vegas. But he was slowly climbing up the ranks. My father-in-law, D from D Martino's Italian restaurant, I know, I would give him jokes for the older people, and he would save those jokes and he would tell them to Ronald Reagan and some of the presidents. So 
D from D Martinez. My father-in-law got the, he, he was excited to know that his old jokes that he would tell to, at the table at the restaurant were being filtered through Yakov Smirnov to Ronald Reagan. Well, that's wild. So, he, so he's doing his own shows in his own theater now, basically, right? Well, he's, he's had that theater for, I think, about 25 years. He's wow. not there very often. Mm-hmm. He likes to go on the road and, and make more money. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think about six weeks a year only, maybe five weeks a year, he uh, four days a week. I believe he headlines his own theater, the Yakov Shmirnov What a Country Theater in Branson. He's done very, very well. He's 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 a very, very hard worker. In fact, when I used to go, when I used to have him on cruise ships, you know, I would be with my wife, he'd be with his wife. And instead of enjoying the sun by the pool, everything was about work. We'd be there at eight o'clock in the morning, he'd pull out a sheet, he goes, George, I wrote these 12 jokes. Can you I would need you to grade them between one and twelve? Tell me what you so he was always working. Every yeah. time he does a date, he would go on the early radio shows for drive time. Whatever it took to sell out, he worked his butt off. That's Yakov Shmirnov, and he's still very successful today. How is, in- how is Branson doing? I haven't heard anybody talk about Branson for a long time. I don't believe it's doing anywhere near what it was. It's still successful. You know, one of the most um, successful theaters there was the Andy Williams Theater. And... My Bobby, close Vin- friend, Bobby Vince did it was pretty good too. Bobby Vince did it very, very well. I worked with Bobby quite a while, a while, but Bobby retired about five years ago. Oh, I know, I know. I, I speak to him every once in a while. But Jimmy Osmond, I worked with every group, every part of the Osmonds. Like they're like like Tupperware. You can mix and match. It's Donnie Marie, Meryl, <laughs> Jay, Jay, and Jimmy. Jimmy and Meryl, Meryl and Jay. And all, and all the all the all the covers fit. <laughs> That's right. But Jimmy bought the Andy Williams Theater from the from the family. And after Andy died, and I would put several shows in there. But that was the pre I think it was probably the premier theater there. At least it was when Andy Williams was there. Yeah, hello. And then it changed, you know, after he dies, it was no longer the they still called it the Andy Williams Theater, the Moon River Theater. Moon River, yeah. And I would put like the Golden Boys there, Frankie Avalon, Fabian, Bobby Riddell, and a lot of other I've had Rick Springfield there and a few other acts. For our but audience it, uh, that don't know what Branson, not, hmm? t- tell them a little history of Branson. A lot of people don't even know about Branson unless you're, you know, 20, 30 years older than we are. <laughs> well, it, it did a lot of country acts like, you know, uh, Lee Greenwoods and Crystal Gales. And uh, I, 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 there's an a Asian act, a Kabuchi or something. I can't remember his name. Nobody knows who he is, but he's sold out all the time. It was an interesting melting pot. Within within two three hours, there's like five states right there. So people would go there and they go to breakfast shows, lunch shows, dinner shows. No dinner, but it was dinner time shows, and it was very very successful for a long time. I was only there once, and um, I used to work with uh, Phyllis Diller. And oh she my said, god, not I love her. You're not going to catch me in Branson. She was the best. It was a different kind of place, very successful, a good place to make a lot of money for a long time. But it, it's gotten, it's not, a, not, not as successful as it has been. I'll put it that way. Uh, but, I mean, uh, to me, when you mention that, it's like when your career is over, let me buy a theater there and do bus tours. They were all bus tours. They were all bus tours and they were booked. People would buy these tours uh, up until a year in advance. And sometimes you you bought it with the uh, with three different shows, and a lot of people did um, an evening with type shows there. Uh, I remember when um, I remember when um, K 
Cary Grant started with um, Gregory Peck, but they used to do a show called An Evening Wit. Oh, really? And actually, Cary Grant, when he did his show, he I believe he actually died in the dressing room after the show. When so he, and, talk and about dying. Ohio, in, talk, the Black, Hawk, Black Hawk Hotel, I think it was. And he actually, um, he actually, I believe, died after he did the show in, in um in Davenport, Iowa, at the Blackhawk, he was staying in. So when most people say I died in Branson, it means their show wasn't accepted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he died like in dead. <laughs> I'm gonna you know, George, you, you seem to be up on your comics, that's for sure. Uh, let, let me throw something out at you. Jackie Cannon's Rat Fink Room. Jackie Cannon's Rat Fink Room? Yeah, West 56th Street in Manhattan. I, I'm sorry that I don't know it. All right. The Jackie Cannon was a Borscht Belt uh, comic uh, that uh, somehow f- uh, filtered down to Manhattan. But you were like, his, that, you took about the 60s or 70s, right? 60s and 70s, yeah. But that yeah. that place was, it was small, but it was always packed. Always packed. It was a little guy. Uh, I, I just wanted to throw that out to see if you ever heard of him. He's long gone. But uh, I, I know most of the people from from like, even like the, 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 the 40s and the 50s, but I never heard that one. The most famous one was Jackie Mason from the Borscht Belt. Yeah, he just died. Yeah. Pat, it's, we're like 17 minutes in. It's time for a commercial break. We'll be right back, George. Welcome, everybody. And I'm so happy to be able to tell you tonight that we are expanding not only the show, not only how you can participate, and share into so many different facets of my life and the life of this podcast and the world we created, we are going to expand our family. You're going to have an opportunity to actually join our family. And it'll be up to you how far you go in our family by the purchases of things we're putting out to you, um, the opportunities that you can take advantage of, like having a one-on-one conversation with me, having me visit your home while you have 10 people for dinner. There's so many things that you're going to be so excited. Just go to HollywoodGodfatherFamily.com and we'll have all the information you want. And believe me, I want you in my family. Don't let me come looking for you. All right, we're back from a commercial having an amazing conversation about entertainers, new, old, and ex-wives and whatever else we're talking about. George, uh, tell us some more of your fascinating life, my friend. Oh, George, Thanks. I have a question. Uh, I have a question, if you would. Uh, sure. What kind of venue uh, will Chess Palminteri be in in Vegas when he's doing his show? He does, do, a, he does his... He does his... He, 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 the No, no, uh, what kind of venue is he going to be in? What kind of room? The room that he's doing for me is one one of the most maybe the maybe the nicest room in Western New York. It's in Niagara Falls. It's a very very intimate three tiered room, kind of like a and almost not an around but half around. It's at Seneca Niagara Resort and their Bears Den, and it, it seats about four forty four. And oh, that that's all it sits, huh? That's all that well, shit. I, t- I tell you, for that show, that's th- that's what you want. You want an intimate audience. It's a, 
because it's, it's a, a one-man show. You know, the I, I saw that originally. The, the sound and the lights, the crew there is fantastic. The room is a beautiful, beautiful. It's a showroom. It's a main showroom, but it's a baby main show. It only includes four, four. And I have Chaz Palmieri going to be there on. Um, in fact, he's going to be doing a PSA for the hotel tomorrow. He's going to be there May 13 and 14 of this year. And um, he's doing uh, the Bronx Tale, but the one-man show. Yeah, that's his show. That's the I only show I, he does. I saw it when he originally opened it. I believe it was in the early 90s. No, it was earlier than that. It was, it was in the 80s. Uh, he did it in a very intimate room. Uh, on the west side of Manhattan, there couldn't have been more than a hundred uh, audience members there. And he also that's, did it at the Win over here, that same show, and that yeah. seats about nine hundred. He's done that a few times at the Win in Las Vegas. But you know, it's it, interesting, it, it, George. When when you talked to me about the Seneca, when I was at Niagara Falls View, right? That room sits fifteen hundred. Correct. So I mean, I put fifteen hundred people in. He's, oh. He should pack it. 400 and something. That's nothing. Different kind of show, Johnny. It's a, it's a one-minute, very intimate no, show. I know the show. It, it really, it I'm not talking, now. Pat, I'm not talking about the, the type oh. of show. His yeah. show is great. His show, he does bigger showrooms in Paxson. Yeah. I'm just saying 400 and something people is nothing for him. Yeah, it's a he'll sell out. There's there's no question about selling out. That's what's so great about that room. There's a few a few rooms like that around the country that people love to work, like the Metropolitan Room in Manhattan. And there's a there's maybe a handful of places like that in the country that people really want to work. I I work with people like Kevin Bacon, the Bacon Brothers in there, and Tony Orlando, and Wayne Newton, and Frankie Avalon, and Rydell. You know, God bless his in that in that small room. In that room, and, and and I have Taylor Dane in there, and I have um, um, I have a lot. I have I no, I, I don't know if I can say this yet. I'm going to say it anyway. I have uh, Jeremy Piven going to work it in January. You know, from Entourage. Yes. Jeremy Piven is now a, a comedian. Well, he and always so was. He was a comedian. I did um, a. He was a comedian before. He I was. didn't. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I I did I, I did Rush Hour with him. Oh, did you? Yeah, one of the rush hours. He's, he's a funny guy. Yeah, I met him in um, in Palm Springs a couple of years ago at their the B and B tennis tournament, which is the biggest tennis tournament in the country, other than the U.S. Open in Manhattan, right right outside there. And he was very nice, and we talked. And he gave me his number. He said, "I'm represented by this company," and I stayed in touch. And I said, "I'll get you. We'll do some dates." And so. I just locked my first one in uh, with him for January. and But it's a great room. It's a very intimate, classy, elegant room. And the and the stars love to work it. And, that's and so the, that's the room they'll work. And, and that's the room you're talking about, Niagara Falls. Well, I, I booked three rooms there. They have three three rooms there. One is the Bears Den, seats 440. Then is the Event Center, seats 2400. And then I do big shows in the outside shows, uh, seats six to 8,000. I do Ringo Starr there, and I do Bobby... Bobby Brown with Vanilla Ice and two, three other acts. <clears throat> I do Trey Sackins with Toby Keith together in the outside. I do Tim McGraw. So I do, it's three, it covers everything. In fact, in fact, Gianni, you were going to be there at the, uh, we, I had booked you at Seneca, but uh, the hotel was uh, gracious enough to let us out of that day because you had a, a, a much bigger situation in Fallsview. 
Oh yeah, it's huge. Did the Falls U, and that was that was like you said about fifteen hundred, and you sold out. Yeah. And you and it was a fabulous date for you. I know. Well, I, it got me nine other hotels that uh, the uh, Mohegan Sun controls. In fact, I'm doing resorts for Columbus Day in Atlantic City, which is their room for uh, the, uh, the October eighth this year. Beautiful, beautiful. And I'm going to Greece to open their new hotel there. A two oh, wow. billion dollar well, you're, hotel. You're all on the white. You look like you're ready for the Arabian Nights. No, I. Right you know, you know what happened? I, I I talked to Sheikh Mohammed today because I know it's uh, Ramadan. So I put on one of these. He gave me this. This is a full gown. <laughs> well, you look a little like Peter O'Toole in the the, uh, <laughs> the movie that he did there. Like, oh, I think missing. I don't see any camels in the background. No, I no, see no. those are my camels. Those are my camels. I remember that line. <laughs> That's, That's, I mean, it's hysterical. But I mean, you know, talking, I, mean, I think, you know, having you as our entertainment spokesperson, and we're saying, you know, on the ground, you're on the ground in so many states and countries. I mean, you represent the mecca of show business now, new and old. I work, I deal with the full deck. I, I don't have anybody exclusive and I don't want anybody exclusive because I, I'm all over the place. I, I could never get any one particular act enough work that they would stay with me. I'll go from a, a Jay Leno to a Gary Lewis to a Lee Greenwood to uh, Toby Keith. So it's just all over the place. Uh, David Cassidy wanted me to handle him exclusively before he died. He, he uh, Jack Jones had called him and said, you know, how Jack talks, George Jack Jones. And he said, <laughs> you gotta have, you gotta handle David. And I said, well, well, Jack, I don't, I don't, he'll leave me. I can't get enough dates that he stay with me. So then he called me and he lived in Vegas at the time, David Cassidy, and he came over to the house and I said, David, let's just do this. I'll get whatever dates I can for you. That way, when you hear my voice on the phone, whoever you're with, whatever agency, it'll always be good news. It'll be a date. But if I handle you exclusively, then you're going to call me every few days going, George, I got holes here. Where are my dates? I got, I need more jobs. Can you push it? And, and, and I'm not, it doesn't work that way for me. Even if one big star wanted me to handle it exclusively, I can never give that much time to any one act because I'm working with 150, 200 acts. Yeah, it wouldn't be for it wouldn't be fair to the act. But at least when they hear my voice, they know it's a date and it's good news. And then we're going to have dinner and do a show and we're have a good time. It's my, it's nicer. It, it takes all the pressure off when you're responsible for a, a, the career of an entire act, all the money that they make. Then it's a lot more pressure. It's up to you to generate all the dates and keep it going for them. So I don't do that. Well, you found your niche anyway. Well, I've known yeah, you. Well, I've known you when you started, so I know what you do. <laughs> you, you knew me before I started. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, another story. We were talking a little about the, the Tropicana. I remember Larry Lee. We had. Um, I had called uh, um, Rodney Dangerfield's manager. I believe her name was Estelle Ender at the time. And I'm sitting there with Larry Lee. And John Kiro, the CEO of the Tropicana. You remember John Kiro, didn't oh, you? Oh, yeah, sure. And they wanted me to get Rodney for New Year's Eve for, for, for two nights for a player's party and, and the regular uh, show to the public. So I get Estelle Ender on the line, which, who managed Rodney. And I said, Estelle, it's George Pecoraro in Las Vegas. And we'd like to have Rodney do a, a, a party for, for the players the night before New Year's Eve and then the, and for the public the next night. And she quickly uh, set a giant price. 
And uh, I looked up at John Kiro and Larry Lee, and they nodded to say, give them, the, give them what they want. And so I said, uh, Estelle, we'll go it. And she says, what? He says, we'll go it. He says, well, I have to think about it. Call me back. I said, you just said the, the price that you wanted. She says, uh, call me back tomorrow. And she hung up. I mean, she didn't. She was just very brutal. Anyway, I called her to, like well, about two days later. He was later. in such demand. That's why. Hello. Oh, everybody wanted him. But we were ready to give him exactly what they wanted. But he decided to go to San Francisco instead because I think they were going to give him three nights instead of two nights. And they used, I, I believe, our, our our date as leverage, saying if we, we need three nights because the Trop in Vegas wants you for two. So they took that Tropicana. But he, he later on, when he opened up the club at the Tropicana, Larry Lee had Rodney in the dressing room, and I was there with Don Martinez, the whole group. And uh, Larry was saying, you know, Rodney was up there in age. And Larry was saying, Larry, Rodney, you got to take a break. You got to take a breath. You're, you're running coast to coast, up, down, left, and right. You're going to kill yourself. And, and the quote that Rodney said to everybody in the room was, I get off the train one time, I won't be able to get on again. <laughs> he, had to, he, had to, he had to go at that frenzy, crazy pace in his mind because if he took a break, he wouldn't be able to do it again. In the same vein, when Dean Martin and Sinatra went from the MGM Grand when they were going to go there to the Desert Inn, uh, Mort Viner had told the people at the Desert Inn, don't wait too long because if you wait too long, Dean will retire. He was not, Dean was used to doing a week a month at, at, at Bally's. Oh, yeah, he did forever. And the MGM and Bally, he was doing a week a month. That's what he was comfortable with. But in the transition, when, when the Desert Inn decided to take Sinatra and then Dean Martin and Sammy separately, uh, Mort Viner, who was handling Dean, said to, to, to the, the Desert Inn, don't wait too long. He, he wasn't joking. You're, not, you're never going to get Dean. He won't go back on stage. They waited a long time. They waited four, five, six months. And, and and then that Dean never went back on stage. That it was too late. He didn't yeah, take him. Mo, most people serious. Most people don't know this. I don't even know if you know it. That D. Martin, when he first did the D. Martin show, he did a show for me in Vegas when I had my own TV show. While while he was at the Rat Pack was at the Sands. He did it as a favor. Oh my God. And NBC went crazy because I was independently syndicating the show the same night on a Thursday night when he had the D. Martin hour. Oh, my God. No wonder. <laughs> no, but you know what, what the, got, got him a great deal? His show was so hot that they wanted to buy him back. And he said, I'll come back, but I don't want any money. And they said, what? We don't, I don't want any money. He says, going forward, I want NBC stock fixed at this price. That's why most people don't know when Dean died, he was probably one of the richest entertainers above Sinatra and everybody else. He had more money in NBC stock, RCA stock. It was insane. He was the largest single shareholder of N RCA stock, like you said. That's absolutely true. I did know that. No, oh, okay. But I'll the tell you. I knew that. The only reason I knew that, because I was the agent for Ricky Martin, Dean Martin's son's book. Oh, that's when right. He, when, he, when he did when he did a book about his father. Yeah, I remember that. I, 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 I did the deal for the family, well, for Ricky Martin specifically, and that was in the book. But you know what's so funny? Talking about uh, 
Rodney Dangerfield, when Rodney has a club right down the street from my apartment forever, in fact, it just closed this year, after all these years. Dangerfield's on First Avenue and 61st just closed. So I just finished The Godfather. And Sinatra wanted to get me a room in New York. So a guy called Louis Dome, which was always around everybody, Lou Pacella, he gets me Rodney Dangerfield's on Thanksgiving Day weekend. That's like the kiss of death in New York. Right. So what happens is I negotiate with them, and I wanted $7,500, which was unheard of for a week here. He said, no, go in for the covers. I said, go in for the what? So Louis said, we'll go, we'll go for the covers. All right, no problem. Carlo Gambino calls everybody in New York, all five families. He said, we got to support this kid. On a Saturday night, we had to do a third show. Oh, my God. <laughs> Every wise guy. Now, I come out, if anybody knows the stage there, it's like working on, a, on an airplane wing. It was a skinny room. When you're on stage, there's four seats, and you look at the wall. you got to keep turning left to right. That's where the people are. So I came out, and I didn't care about it. I knew who I was around. You know, Frank Casella, I know you're going to say nothing to me. And that's when they were all wearing different colors. Who's wearing pastels and this and that. And even Carlo Gambino was there that night. So I come out. And I did my first opening number, and I looked around, and I said, you know, I feel like I'm in Baskin-Robbins here. We got 56 flavors. <laughs> That's and I, funny. And I started naming the bosses what they were wearing. Well, oh you, could, you could hear a pin drop until Carlo Gambino laughed, and then everybody laughed. <laughs> <laughs> if he wasn't going to laugh, nobody was going to laugh. I'd be out in the garage <laughs> or in the parking lot. <laughs> No, but when he had to give me that check, I told Lou, you got to come with me. Because he's tight with money, not yeah. Rodney. And he had, to, he had to sign the second signature, anything over 10000 So we had to wait for him. And he said, I can't effing believe this. You, how'd you get all these people here? I said, I don't know. <laughs> he was a different guy. I met him. He called me to have dinner when he was headlining the Sahara Hotel when he and during the time when he did Caddyshack and Back to School, when he was red hot, oh my hot, yeah. And he was headlining the co the uh, the Copa, not the Copa room, the that's the Sahara Hotel or the Congo, the Congo, the Congo showroom. Room. Yeah, that's a big showroom. Yeah. And it was jam packed. And I met him right. At, I, I I was sitting in the back, and then he said, "Let's meet at the bar first, and we'll go get something to eat." Right after the show, he comes around back, and I meet him at the bar, and he killed, killed, killed. This is after Caddyshack, after Back to School. Oh, yeah, hello. And I looked at him, and he was completely depressed. And I go, Rodney, what's wrong? He goes, did you see that one guy in the room? I go, which guy? I know what he was talking about. There was one guy that he goes, he goes, George, he wouldn't even turn his chair to face me. I worked to him all night. I go, I couldn't get him. I couldn't get that one guy. I said, you couldn't get that one guy? I go, did you see the rest of the room? They were falling on the floor, howling with laughter, screaming with laughter. You you killed, killed, killed. And you're depressed because you couldn't get that one guy to turn his chair to face you. You knew who that one guy, guy was, though? Huh? Do you know who the one guy was? Who? Buddy Hackett. <laughs> <laughs> you heard That's my phone ring. You heard my Buddy Hackett owned that hotel. I'm serious about it. He, he had points in it. 
He used to go to the shows with comedians and do that to them. That's how I know yeah, that's you true. Phone, you heard my phone ring about 20 minutes ago as we were talking. That was Sandy Hackett. That was Buddy's kid. Oh, buddy's my God. Kid. What a wasted talent that kid is. That he don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Rod, I mean, he, 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 he always found a way to be down or depressed. Oh, that's his nature. He's a manic depression. But that's how he made his act. Yeah. That was his act. Johnny Carson knew that, and that's what he used to do to him all the time. I bought bought an apartment on on the Wilshire Corridor, on Wilshire Boulevard, going right into Westwood. And it was a good investment for me, so I bought two of them, facing the water, 10580. It was the address. I'm there. I put a Ferrari and a Bentley in. I'm one of the first tenants, right? Rodney Dangerfields moves in downstairs from me. <laughs> and every day, because he's cheap, every day I come, and my car's there. But, but I call from upstairs. They bring it. They're waiting for me. So he says to me, hey, Russo, how come your car gets down here before you do? I say, I call ahead. So he tells the guy, he says, I'll call ahead. He says, that's $100 a month. I'll wait for my car. <laughs> that's right that's how he was he's and he had he, so much money time, it was gonna it was, it was gonna be his last he what he watched his money like it was gonna be his last penny like oh it was i know his no, i know everything about him which was so you know, funny. i i told this story uh before george but you you weren't on the show then and if you didn't listen to it i was a cop back then and uh uh i used to work until two in the morning and where do you go at two in the morning you got to find something that's open and there's people in it. Dangerfields was one of those places. Rodney loved cops. And uh, he used to take care of us. He also said, you know, kids, he says, uh, uh, any joke, you want you, you want to write me a joke, any joke that I use, I'll pay you 50 bucks. You believe this? I mean, we, we never wrote anything. I, shopping lists I was writing. But I said, 50 bucks. This is 1973, maybe two. You know, so I, I think I sold him four or five jokes over the years. But you only got paid once. Yeah, I, I was with him at the coffee shop at Bally's yeah. uh, between shows, and he would have three, four writers come in with pages of jokes. Yeah. And But even many, many years later, he still paid him like 50 or 75 yeah. for one joke. He would go through the paper, say, I like that one. I'll take that one. Go to the next guy, the, the next uh, comedian writer but come, no, who did jokes. Well, because now I don't like anything. The next guy says, I like these two. I want these two. He give him like seventy five bucks times two hundred fifty bucks. Give it a guy seventy five bucks. He goes, all right, those are my jokes now. And he would tell yeah. those, but it cost him really nothing to have those jokes. Of course, so, you know he could use them for the rest of his life. Yeah, <laughs> but that's, I, that's I had funny though. He, he took care of all the all broken down comics for years. Yeah, he, he did. Uh, that's good. He would support them. Uh, he, he was a nice guy. He oh no, he's you know a great he, guy. You know what he was unhappy with very much so. When I would talk to him, the fact that he spent many, many, many years without being that big star. He was the big star after he did Caddyshack and Back to School. Yep. He had a decent run, but a, but not enough years. He, the years, the lean years were so many more than the, than the, than the star years. And well, he that's just why was he was there. so frugal. Yeah. That's why it's like a groove in a record. You get you get used to being very careful and very. It's better to be that way than blow all your money because I'm I know still a lot that of, way. You know that, George. <laughs> I know a lot of people who make a lot of, a fortune. And they have nothing. Then I well, know you, a lot of people that make little money for a few years and they saved it and they're okay. 
but he, you know, it, it, it. So if you're if you're careful with money, as an example, Alan King. Oh my! Alan God. King was very very rich. Produced films. Was a, one of the best nightclub comedians ever. He owned a studio in New York. Hello. He you know what he would do? When I'd work with Alan, when we if we if we, if we did three four days or whatever together, he go out if he wanted a. I, I think he was a Crown Royal drinker. He'd buy a bottle of Crown Royal and have the bottle of Crown. He'd have a drink before he before he went down instead of going downstairs to, to pay for it. And then if he was comped, he'd have three, four or five drinks. But as from the old days, like Jack Carter's and Jan Murray's and all those kind of guys, they would always buy a bottle of what they liked in their room. They'd have a nice drink in their room and then go out and not have to spend nowadays in Manhattan, 18, $20 for a drink. You buy the bottle and it's going to cost you $2. And they and they did that for so many years before they became stars. They didn't how they didn't know how to not do it after they had all the money. It was like a groove. Of, they didn't know how to not do that. It, it was being careful, and that's why they had millions and millions. Some of these guys, they they just kept that way for the rest of their lives. They could afford it, but from they're just they were so they were used cautious, to doing that, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, with, with the with the uh, Rodney, he thought it was all going to end soon. Yes. And uh, that was his motivation. He, you know, he spent all those years struggling. And then when he finally made it, he said, well, this has to end. Yes. Because but, you're always, but, a performer's but like always pointed out, once, once you became a movie star, he was sad forever. But he didn't think so. No, but, but that's the, the mindset. Line, that's what he's talking he about. He didn't think he was going to be playing in those big rooms like at Caesars, like he used to. He thought yeah. it was going to slip down again. When I first used to see him at the Tiffany Theater at the Tropicana, Gianni, he had... 30, 40, 25 people in a room. That's all he had. And he is the same exact act, and he was just as funny, but he didn't have the exposure. He couldn't draw. Those were little door deals he used to do. Right. So he always thought he was minutes away from going back to that. Mm. Yeah, even though it, he didn't had no real reason to think that, but from the insecurity of a performer, which is common and normal, I understand it. Well, he that's was never that, able to get that's that world. Pleasure. It's like movie yeah. actors. They're the same way. You're as good as your last film. And if you don't have another one, we're, we're, you got to wait again. Here you go. That's right. The, the old line, what have you done for me lately? Or what have you done <laughs> lately? Right? Yeah. You, you could be one of the best in the world. And if you haven't done anything in a couple of years, it's like, it's like water. That's like, you already did that. What are you, what are you doing now? Yes. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a very it's an insecure business. It doesn't matter if you made it to the top. Right. Most performers are still insecure. Well, that's why they're so yeah. nuts and drugged up and all that because they, they yeah, manic, a lot of stress, manic lot depression. Of, yeah, you have any? But he was a nice person. Oh, he's a great guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, George, you have any observations on Bruce Willis? I just think it's real sad. Um, what's going on in his life right now? And if and if something's going on in your brain. I don't know exactly what that is that he has, but if something's going on in your brain and you're not quite aware, you know something's wrong or nothing. It's maybe like an Alzheimer's thing. Well, that's what it is. That's what it is. If you're not aware of what's going on, but you know things are not connecting. I, I know I know so many people who have been with him this last 18 months that he did 21 movies in. Yeah. Just to put the money together. Because he wow. wanted, he wanted to leave his kids something, so he. But knows he's got everything else. now. He's got so much. I mean, I I don't know him personally, but he's made insane money. Oh, yeah, but if he didn't keep it, hello. 
Yeah, it's not what it's not. Uh, Desi Arnaz Jr. used to tell me all the time, George, if you want to be smart in this business, he and, and he and he with his sister inherited the bulk of the money from Lucy and Desi, which was a lot. But Desi Jr. would tell me, if you want to be smart in this business, George, live don't live below your means. Live well below your means, <laughs> and you'll never have to worry. He well, he, all the he lived in oh, Henderson, if my memory serves me right. Say it again. He lived in Henderson, Nevada. Boulder City. No, well, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm one, well, it's close one, enough. One, one block over, George. <laughs> <laughs> I anyway, couldn't he believe lived, it. He still lives there now. I know. And the old joke is, every time I see him, which is not often, because he hides. And I keep telling you, you're hiding, and <clears> nobody's <throat> looking for you. Oh, yeah. They don't, <laughs> they don't even know who he is. He walks into places. They don't know who he is. No, you, you wouldn't recognize him anymore. He's a good soul. But he uh, he he left the business a while ago. That every once in a while he would do something with me. But he would always press me. I'll, I think I'm going to do it. I'm not sure if I'm going to do it. I'll let you know later. Don't forget, call me for the dates. But I'm not guaranteeing I'm going to do them. After about three, four times, I go, Desi, how many times are you going to go around the block like this? Do you want to do it or do you not want it? Whatever you want to do. But I need to know. I got to tell the people. So every once in a while he would do something. But he he unlike his sister Lucy who lives permanently right now in Palm Springs. Lucy works and does dates as a nightclub performer. Well, she wants to do it for her ego, but like her brother, they don't have to do a thing. No, they don't have Their to. Their real estate they, holdings. You know, the father amassed so much real estate in California. They still own that giant, giant ranch. I don't know how many thousands of acres in Baja, California. That oh, I, know. Senior, I know. In Mexico. Desi doesn't even, hasn't been there in years. I think Lucy may go there once or twice a year for three, four days. It's a giant, massive estate, and nobody even goes there. I know. I knew when Desi had uh, his house in Del Mar, he was happy there. He lived right on the water. And um, you got another quick story about Del Mar? Something funny? Sure. Burt Bacharach bought a house not on the ocean, but like 50 feet the, the second house in, he sees all the water. He had it totally redone recently. And before the pandemic, he was still doing dates. I believe he's about 90 now. Yeah. So I don't nice guy, though. I, I had a lot to do with him. I love his. Oh, yeah, that's right. You have. I love his music. It's incredible. But he, one, of the last, one of the last times he did dates, he was doing something in Del Mar. And I pass his house. And even though he's close to the public, nobody, could, nobody knows it's him. He's on the balcony of his of his bedroom, and he's sitting. He's about eighty seven, maybe at the time, and he's out there with what Gianni used to use in the seventies with the reflector. Yeah, and I thought, yeah. my, and he had the you know how he ties the the, the uh, sweater around, and yeah, ties it in the knot. that that's he's a signature look. Yeah, and he's and he's working on his tan. He's like eighty seven. I thought, I wish I had a camera. I said, God bless him. Only somebody in show business, 87, is trying to look the best he can for his show the next night, looking tanned and healthy. He was 87. He wanted to look the best he could to do his show the next night in Del Mar. I saw one of the last shows he ever did. It was the Smith Center in Las Vegas. It was classy. It was elegant. Oh, the, his hits are so I mean, so he could just sit the lyrics. He could just sit at the keyboard and play hits. And everybody hit after hit after hit, right? That's all. 
I had like 11 with him with Dion. Hello. Oh my God. <laughs> I never met him, but he, but he, but, um, what a, what an elegant, classy person. That, that, that's the kind of people you, you, you miss when they're not around because you miss their talent. Did you ever meet his writing partner, Carol Bayer I did. She's talented. a couple of times. Yeah, she's a nice lady, too. No, he was very, very nice. And um, I remember my godman, he was married to Angie Dickinson. Oh, my God. Yeah. Hello. He loved her. And they she, had the house. They had they had the house on the ocean at the time in Del Mar. Yeah. But it was about maybe about two blocks away from Desi Arnaz Sr.'s house. It's just a it's just a very small area in Del Mar. I know right where it is. There's like Absolutely. 32 houses there. You could walk up from the track up the hill and they're all up there. I That's know right. where I know right the track. Right. And they all went to the track. You know, it's I so go funny. Summer. I used to, I used to go to every opening day of the track and sit with Jimmy Durante's wife. Oh my god. Cuz he was at the track every day to 50 yard line and I think it was Bing Crosby, opening day until he died, sang the song, Where the Surf, Meet the Turf at Old Del Mar. Yeah. He gave me that deal. Do you know that? I had to be there every no, no, year. No. Every year I went out in the middle of the track and sang that song for the opening day for years and years and years till his wife died. I love Del Mar. That track is great. I love it there. I was with... Erwin Molaski one time. We were oh, on a hello. yacht together. Erwin owned the resort up the street. Hello. Yeah. And he says, George, I got a, a horse ride. Then that we were on a yacht the day before and near near the, the, the Del Coronado. Yes. He says, I yes. have a horse running tomorrow in in, the, in Del Mar. I said, Well, I'm going to Del Mar. He says, This is the horse. If it wins, come on down and you'll you'll go on the track. We'll take a picture of you and me and a few other the people. The winner circle. Now I, I've never ran down to take pictures on the track before. By the time I got there, it was all you know, they do it immediately. Oh yeah, like, you have to be down there. Well, you I'm went down to comb your hair and straighten up. I know. Oh, yeah, you. I was. It was I a, had my martini. The, I was sauntering. No, the, the rest, the, the next, it's post time going to the next horse. That's right. By the time I got down there with my martini, he says, "Where were you, George?" I said, "I was. I didn't realize. I didn't know where to go." Or because we, you know, you got to. It's, it's we do it like that. Oh yeah, but <laughs> I never did it before. But tell Pat. And our audience, who Er Malansky is. Nobody even knows this guy. I never heard of him. One of the richest well, men in the world. Of what I know, he created a lot of Las Vegas. He built um, the hospital. He, I believe, he, did he, didn't he build the Las Vegas Country Club, Gianni? I, and I got one of the townhouses, one of the first townhouses. And what's the name? I, I live right next door to him, Modelitz. Hello. Yeah, the Boulevard Mall he built. They were all part of that. That's why I had my jewelry stores in the Boulevard Mall. And I'll give you a better one. They owned the Lorimar Studios. That's right. That's right. He owned Lorimar, Lorimar Studios. And every hit he show. He owned a lot of the housing show. developments. They owned Dallas, the television show. This guy, this is part of the real syndicate. That's how I got to know them. <laughs> There's some I guys talk, I can't even mention their names. I had never met him before, and I, I spent this time on a yacht with him, with my doctor, Jerry Schwartz, and I, I we we started talking about old showbiz, Maury Amston, oh my and God, Jack Carter, yeah. Foster Brooks, and he didn't want to let me go. I, I he was he was enjoying the time tunnel rewind oh, button, yeah. and, and he <laughs> talked for two about two two and a, how are you going to get how are you going to get Malaski's time for two and a half hours. We talked and talked. It was all showbiz, 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 show. But old showbiz, all the old stars. And he loved rekindling the old stories 
of all these people that were already gone. Pat, he he amassed such, I mean, uh, money in every every field. They bought Laura Mott to, to lose money. They had six hit shows. I'm going to give you, George, I'm going to give you a history, and jo and Pat's going to know what it's about. My restaurant, State Street, was their real estate office. They gave it to me for a dollar a square foot. All oh mahogany God. walls, marble floors. <laughs> Nobody can understand why Perry Thomas gave me a million-dollar credit line at 26 years old in the Valley Bank. <laughs> Wasn't that restaurant before you took it out? Wasn't it called Macaverney's? It was yeah. Some kind of she went crazy with it, and Mac. I remember. Yeah. I, I walked in there with my dad. My dad was considering buying it, put a restaurant before you even before he was enough for sale. And that guy Macaverney used to be one of the headliners in the Folie Bergere. I know. That's how he got that. I, I just saw him. I just kidding. saw him about two three weeks ago. I didn't even recognize He's him. He's still alive. Yeah. He bumped in him. Maybe it's his son. He's probably about yeah, 60, no, maybe 70. Maybe. No, it's his son. He says, I know you. It's his son. I said, from where? He goes, did you ever know anybody in the Folly Bergere? And I said, yeah. I hung around. He said, I was one of the featured singers, an MC. If that's the guy you're talking about, I don't know if it was his father or no, him. His father, about 70. his father. No, the kid was in the show business. That's the one. Yeah. But the yeah. interesting thing about that area, like you pointed out, Everything on Maryland Square, Maryland Square Shopping Center, Las Vegas Country Club, they built. They built the first high-rise. That high-rise is the first high-rise in Vegas. But And these guys, I'll tell you right now, billions, billions and billions of dollars. And all gentlemen, quiet, no violence, unless they picked up the phone. <laughs> I, I miss that era so much about Las Vegas. Vegas had the most ambiance and class. They had everything in the world 40, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Now it's just very, very, very successful. But it's a city called Las Vegas. Yeah. Back then it was just Vegas. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, it's, uh, the and everybody knew everybody. And I can remember going to the Sands Hotel on a Saturday night. You had to have a shirt and tie on and a jacket. Unless you couldn't even get in the casino. Well, I got a great story about that. Next time we get together, remind me, Pat, to tell the story about Willie Nelson and and um, Electric Horseman. I got a great story about. I don't know if we have time to tell it now. It's about no. About let's hold minutes. that thought because yeah. what? In fact, you, I'm writing that down. I'm not going to let you forget it. No, but Willie the, Nelson, Electric Horseman. But the yeah, interesting thing uh, for our audience listening, this is what you're going to be hearing from George Pecoraro and his contribution to our new show and the celebrity arm of it, because this man knows more, and, he, and he, he, he awakens me in my memory, because I've been in Vegas, I went to Vegas in 1959, and stayed 30 years, people didn't even know it, because I was under the radar for a long time, but this is what you can expect, we've talked about maybe 50 celebrities, and uh, I think Pat and I are more than pleased, George, thank you so much, for your contribution. We look forward yes. to you joining us on a regular base. Well, thank and you. It sounds, first of all, um, as the public mayor, man, I know Gianni was one of my, is one of my best friends. We've known each other for about 50 years. And this is like family. So this is just, 
this is just kind of like what we used to do in your in your family room or your dining room and what well, we'll be doing again in about 10 days in your house right but the it's funny just is, conversation yeah. the only thing missing is my martini well you, and, and then but I, i'm sure we'll have it that in, in, in about 10 days from now right well like but, i said the last you're time you're not going to have any you'll have a glass of wine right, George, like i said the last time you were here you're a great storyteller Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, that's why when we were thinking about this segment, Pat yeah. said we got to get George, so it's perfect. Well, everybody wants me to do a book. I have all the stories, but I need somebody to weave it all together. Well, you're talking to the guy; he's the best. Right. <laughs> that's what that's I do. the guy. Yeah, let's talk about that. Sure, absolutely. Well, all thank right. you very, very much, Pat. Thank you very, very much, Gianni. Well, stay and, on because uh, we're, we're going to tune off, and we're going to tune up with you as our entertainment new host. So, George, thank you. Pat, thank, thank you. you always, my friend. And to all our listeners, keep tuning in. Keep sending the mails and letter, the letters and cards. Whatever we, any way you correspond, get them to us. We promise we'll do the mailbag in the next segment because when George is on, I don't think we're going to have a mailbag at all. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, don't be sorry. We want to read about you in our mailbag. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. All right. Thank you. Alright guys, have a wonderful day. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but Thank just you call for tuning me. in to the Hollywood call Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you'd like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around.